Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 189. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here to discuss the sequel that nobody asked for and yet everybody got, Toy Story 4. Full disclosure, we have been referencing this episode all week as the abomination. Not to spoil our review, but we saw it in theaters. I remember crying when we were walking out of the theater for all of the wrong reasons, not for the reasons that Pixar normally makes you cry, but we figured why not just address this one now and get it out of the way as we prepare for the release of Lightyear. Yeah, I'm hoping that this is not a sequel Lightyear, it is a prequel, but I'm hoping that it somehow is able to redeem the franchise. Um... I'm just going to leave that there. Obviously, you can kind of figure out my review early on. Um, And that's not to say that all of it is bad. There are some good elements to this film. I think the problem, and I think we need to address this right away, because I know that you had mentioned that you were trying to kind of keep this out of your head when we sat to watch this again, was that the conclusion of Toy Story 3 is so perfect and and if you think about it, Toy Story, the original trilogy of Toy Story, is one of the few absolutely perfect trilogies. It is. And I think that that's everybody's biggest gripe with it, especially people our age, because we all grew up with Andy. We grew up with these films. So when Andy said goodbye to his toys and passed them off to Bonnie, we were saying goodbye to a large part of our childhood. So in order to give this one a fair shake, I really was trying to watch this film on its own, not as being part of a bigger franchise, and just try and find things to appreciate for what it is. Well, let's see if your opinion has changed, because admittedly mine has changed very little, and I'm very excited to flesh all of this out today. I think this is going to make for an interesting conversation. All right. This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar. Pixar inspired, so you can get your Toy Story aliens, your Monsters, Inc. straw charms. Uh, They also have ornaments and personalized photo nightlights, so you can also get your photos from Toy Story Land put on a nightlight. Very nice. Which is very cool. Uh, listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code Monoreal10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy to stay up to date on all of the new releases. Nine years ago, RC is lost outside in a rainstorm. During his rescue, Bo Peep, her sheep, and their lamp are given away to another family, breaking Woody's heart after he refuses to leave Andy to go with Bo. In present day, Bonnie favors Jesse over Woody and is getting ready to start kindergarten orientation, so Woody stows away to keep an eye on her as she is initially reluctant to go. During Arts and Crafts, Bonnie makes a new friend named Forky out of scraps and trash that Woody left for her 
to keep her engaged. Miraculously, Forky comes to life, but only wants to be thrown away as he was already trash, and Woody struggles to get him to understand that he is a toy and is very special to Bonnie. While on a road trip before school starts, Forky jumps out the window of the family's rented RV, so Woody sets off after him. After a heartfelt conversation, Forky realizes how important he is to Bonnie, so they set off for the RV park to reunite them. While en route, Woody sees Bo Peep's lamp in a window of an antique shop, so Woody and Forky sneak in to try and find her, but are instead found by Gabby Gabby and her ventriloquist dummy Benson, who tell Woody that they will take him to Bo. Gabby notices that Woody's voice box is in excellent shape while hers is broken and is set on getting Woody's voice box to replace hers. The shop owner's granddaughter finds Woody and takes him to the park while Benson and Gabby take Forky. At the RV, Bonnie is heartbroken to see that Forky is gone, so Buzz leaves to find them but ends up being used as a prize in a carnival game in town just outside the park. At the park, Woody and Bo are reunited, and Bo tells us that she has been on her own for seven years and that she loves it. Bo initially doesn't want to help Woody go back to the store, as they were left there collecting dust, and she does not trust Gabby. Woody convinces her to help him get Forky back for Bonnie, and they leave for the shop. At the shop, Gabby pines over Harmony, the shopkeeper's granddaughter, and believes that when her voice box is fixed, she will finally have a kid. At the carnival, Buzz meets Bunny and Ducky, two carnival prizes who have never been claimed and love to torment Buzz until Buzz escapes and tracks down Woody and Bo. Bunny and Ducky attack Buzz, and Woody tells them that he can get them to Bonnie if they stop attacking Buzz. At the RV, Bonnie's parents are about to leave, so Jesse flattens a tire to buy them time. Inside the shop, Bo gets separated from her sheep and becomes frustrated with Woody for trying to take the lead. Bo introduces Woody to stuntman toy Duke Kaboom and asks him to take them, uh, or to make a jump for them, I should say, to get them to the cabinet where Gabby is keeping Forky. They make the jump, and after a struggle, they are chased out of the store by the shop's cat, but without Forky. Woody wants to go back, but the rest do not, so after an argument, Bo and the rest leave Woody behind. Inside the shop, Woody agrees to trade Gabby his voice box in exchange for Forky. Bonnie, meanwhile, with help from Buzz, realizes that she left her backpack at the antique store, so they head there to get it back. With a fully functioning voice box, Gabby thanks Woody as she believes she will have a life with Harmony, who does not want to take Gabby home after all. Bonnie grabs her backpack and is excited to find Forky, but Woody, refusing to leave Bonnie behind, tells Forky that they need to meet him later at the carousel. Woody convinces Gabby that Bonnie is out there for her, so along with Bo, who has seemingly forgiven Woody now, they set off to get to the carousel to rendezvous with the RV. The toys take control of the RV, crashing it through the carnival towards the carousel, while Duke wake, uh, makes one final jump, getting the toys towards the carousel. They discover a lost child at the carnival and plant Gabby to make the child feel better. The child is uh, reunited with her family, and Gabby has finally found her home. The toys that were Andy's and now Bonnie's are all reunited, but Woody, struggling with leaving Bo Peep, is told by Buzz Lightyear that Bonnie will be just 
fine. So Woody says goodbye to all of Bonnie's toys, including Buzz Lightyear, and goes to explore the world with Bo while freeing other carnival prizes with Duke Kaboom, Ducky, and... I, can't, I, I just literally just forgot the name of the other carnival prize. And and Giggles is with them, too. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah, Giggles <laughs> is there, too. Um, okay. Um, let's, let's go and rewind back to the beginning. Um, the very beginning. This yeah. is going to go against everything I just said about trying to treat this as a standalone film. But there are some comparisons that we have to make here. Yeah. I actually really like the beginning, even though it is a full departure from every other open of Toy Story. We always get the scene, right? We always are put into Andy's imagination Mm -hmm. where, whether it's Mr. Potato Head holding up a bank or... um, the train robbery. Yes. We're always in Andy's imagination seeing what he is playing. So here they tap into our nostalgia with that, but it's a real life situation where a toy needs to be rescued. And I love that we get that classic Woody has a plan in place and they just have to execute it to go and rescue RC who I feel bad is like always the one in peril. Yeah. Always, always. Um, I like the opening scene. The animation is outstanding. And the only reason why I call attention to this is because I had said when we had previously reviewed the Toy Story films that seeing Toy Story in the movie theater in 1995 as a nine-year-old. There's nothing like it. Nothing like it. And it's amazing that when you go back and watch it now, you're impressed that they were able to pull it off. You remember the nostalgia of seeing it for the first time, but the animation has gotten so much better as the years have gone on. And I think this opening scene is a prime example of, I think not to, not to take shots at the original toy story, but the level of detail in the original film falls a little flat now when you see just how detailed the animation is in this scene in particular. I would agree because when we saw that first one, there was nothing to compare it to. Right. So you didn't necessarily know what you were missing. Now if you do a side-by-side, as detailed as as they got everything, the movement in the characters' faces... uh, I think it's really the set design that has come leaps and bounds further. Because when Mm. you think about Andy's first room, um, this flashback is nine years later. So this is between, I believe, the second and third film. Because we already have Jesse and Bullseye. Yes. And and this is clearly Andy's new house that they're in. Um, So when you compare it to Andy's first room, even though he's growing up, he's got a different room now, just the level of detail that they put into that alone, there's so much more. Uh, But the rain, I think, is what really does it for me in this opening sequence. Even though it is a special effects shot that they're putting in uh, and they're, you know, they're putting it 
over the layers of the animation, it's still just incredible the way that it all comes together. Yeah, visually stunning. And I think it is a good scene because it does put you right back into the world that we are familiar with. To your point, we're not seeing it through Andy's eyes, but we are back in a world that is very familiar to us, and it answers the question that nobody asked, which is what happened to Bo Peep? Where did she go? <laughs> um, I'm not I'm not adverse to seeing what happened. Um, I'm fine seeing what happened because, in reality, she kind of did just vanish. Um what I think is really a problem, though, when you think about the context of Toy Story 4 in general, is that Woody has an opportunity to leave, to go with Bo, but he doesn't do it. Why doesn't he do it? Because Woody always does the right thing. He's always the one to the point you made earlier that has a plan in place that's trying to set up the moving buddies that's trying to avoid lost toys. This is the entire premise of the first film is how to avoid becoming a lost toy and doing what's right for your kid. Right. Pick a moving buddy. That That's where we meet Woody. That is what it starts on. Uh, no, I, I totally agree with you. Um, no one asked for this Yeah, to know what happened to Bo Peep, but I will say this. I do like that they hit us with it up front like this, uh, because we're so focused on the rescue and you barely get that sigh of relief of like, oh my God, they got RC back. You know, it's going to be fine. Even though Slink just had a, a window closed on him. Yeah. You think you're going to get a breath for a second and then you don't because the next thing you know, Bo is gone. It's a little random that somebody just shows up at the house to claim her in an age before like Facebook marketplace and whatnot. Because again, this is after the move. So you know that Molly is still young enough to need her nightlight. I believe that, you know, she would have taken it with. Well, obviously, Bo was Buzz's moving buddy. Right. Um. So I'll I'll buy that now, you know, she's growing up a little bit. She doesn't need it. But I just felt it was kind of random that somebody just showed up at the house to take it. That that was a little bit unmotivated. Um, to touch on what you said, though, about Woody's main focus always being to make sure that no one gets left behind. Um he says it as much later on in this film that he is loyal, that that is his thing is to make sure that the kid is happy. Uh, he has always put the kid first and without spoiling too much of the review. I mean, that is his whole arc in this film, right? Is to realize that there is a whole big world out there. And instead of being so selfless all the time, he's got to do what's right by him. So, We'll talk about that arc a little bit more, but what I do want to make note of now is I think that this is immediately where the story collapses because this was never a romance. It was never about Woody and Bo, and that's what this movie becomes. What you're losing by doing this is the buddy movie that we all fell in love with. You do not have a was goodness, a, <laughs> a Buzz and Woody story here. Correct. Now, you can make the case that 
in the second film, you don't have a Buzz and Woody story, but you have a Woody and Jesse story. And they flesh out how Jesse was... I believe she was a lost toy, right? Wasn't she left at the playground? That's the whole premise. And How could you forget that song? How dare you? Well, this is what I'm saying. Like, you've always found a way to properly pull at the heartstrings. When Pixar has always done that, but they've, as as Pixar has matured over the years, I think some of the subject matter has in the films. And, and as the audience, as the target audience, and as the people that have grown up with these films have have matured, so has the subject matter. And the second film pulls at your heartstrings. The third, don't even get me started. I think they tried to make this a Toy Story film that, like, heartbroken adults who have felt loss could connect with. But not for anything. When I watch Toy Story, that's not why I'm watching Toy Story. I don't want that in Toy Story. I want the buddy film, to your point. I want Buzz and Woody. I want Woody and Jesse. I want Buzz and Jesse. I want to see... First, you you didn't need a fourth movie. If you're going to do a fourth movie, I am totally fine watching a fourth film where these toys are learning what it's like to be Bonnie's toys rather than Andy's toys. If you made a film about Woody's internal struggle that it's not Andy and that he can't let go, which they try to touch on here, but I think it falls flat, it would have worked better if you would have made him pivot into being the secondary character and letting up some of the control to Jesse because we see that Jesse starts becoming the favorite. There is a way that you could have done a fourth film and he could have transitioned and he could have had an arc without having to throw this fabricated love story in here that nobody cares about. Right. I I definitely agree with that, that if they were going to bother to do a fourth one, is this the story that they should have told. Uh, I am going to disagree with you though. I think that Toy Story 2 is the buddy movie still, even though it does shift focus to Jesse uh, and uh, the characters from Woody's Roundup. Um, it is a bit Woody centric in that he's focusing on, or, or he's learning what makes him him and he's learning about yeah. his own history and his past right but buzz still goes in to save him but i will give you that though we definitely agree on the loss of the buddy film being problematic but what you said about having andy or i'm sorry having woody adjust to not being andy's toy and having to adjust to bonnie um we didn't just lose the buddy film. We lost all of these other characters who we have grown to love, who have had full arcs like the potato heads, like Slink, um, like Ham and Rex. We're going to say goodbye to them at the end of this film. We lose them throughout the middle. That would have been a more heart wrenching goodbye if it had been another adventure with all of them. Right. But we could sit here all day and talk about, what could have, should have been. Let's talk about what is. Okay. The opening scene with You've Got a Friend in Me, um, the time passage montage, I actually think this is incredibly well done. I think that you get through the first three movies 
you catch us up to this point in time and it's just enough where you feel the nostalgia but it doesn't feel like a ripoff and it's totally smooth i really like how they handled this getting us up to because you're going from nine years ago you're fast forwarding us to present day i thought it was a good way to do it yeah and it was a good way to pass that baton between andy and bonnie one more time even though we've seen him gift her the toys uh because they did the flashback you still need a little bit of a bridge here yes what else do we have here the montage ends with the shot of the bottom of Woody's shoe. And Bonnie has written her name on him. This is such a Woody thing throughout the entire series that all of a sudden, by the end of the film, he doesn't care about it anymore. I think that you do so much focusing on what makes Woody Woody and the things that he held so dear to him throughout the entire run of the series to focus on on that and then have him completely change by the end it actually gets me more and more frustrated on every watch and for whatever reason it wasn't until today that I literally threw my hands up and I went she wrote her name on you that's a woody thing that's such a woody thing thing to be proud of it it, he loves being like branded by the kid but I think that that's also where Woody becomes untangled I don't think it's enough just to have a kid he's got to be the favorite and he's not that baton is sort of being passed to Jesse I what I realized watching it this time around is that this is more about letting go of Andy even more so than it was when Andy goes off to college because even though Woody has a new kid he still can't accept it and you know could you blame him because out of the gate even though you know they play it off as Bonnie's mom cleaned up the room quickly and put everyone in the closet when Bonnie comes back Woody gets left there and they do such a great job of you know these other forgotten toys really ribbing him and oh you got your first dust bunny yeah very funny very well done again the level of detail in the scene is absolutely stunning you've got scuff marks on the closet wall you've got dust collecting on the closet it's absolutely incredible I also like the I like the date and time that they pick to start this film because As the adult audience, you remember what it was like when you had to go to kindergarten for the first time. And most of us didn't want to go because we wanted to stay home and play with our toys. It was our comfort zone. It's the only thing that we knew. So I think to start from this point was very smart. I think this timeline also really works for the character because we're in Woody's POV as he's trying to accept that Bonnie is not Andy. But this goes beyond just clinging to the past. It's also setting up this need for control because it's not just that Bonnie's going off to kindergarten. It's that she had her own toys that his group is now acclimated in. He's also got to get used to the idea that one of her toys is in charge. Right. Um, And I think he stows away for a 
for a bit of control, but he also does stow away because I think at the root of him, he cares. I'm, I'm going to keep bringing this up, and I don't care how repetitive it gets because this is the entire character. It's the entire character. Does he go against the grain and do the exact thing that the rest of them say not to do? Yes. Does it come off a bit petty? It sure does. But ultimately, when you get into the classroom, the fact that he is able to dig through the trash and throw things to Bonnie because he wants her engaged shows that there is a little bit more to it than just being the control, than just being the sheriff, which he was used to being in Andy's room. And it's not just that. It's that this is all he knows. He wants to see a happy, well-adjusted kid. Right. Right. So Forky gets created. He comes to life. We don't really know why. Um, We don't really need that answered either. I mean, I guess the minute he becomes a toy, he comes to life. And I'm willing to like live in that universe, and that's fine. Yeah, I think that's a rabbit hole that... that we don't need to go down for this universe to make sense. I mean, you could argue that, you know, because a child loves you, that's what makes you a toy, but we don't need to explore what actually brings a toy to life. At first, Forky is funny. He then becomes instantly annoying. At least this is how I felt about him when we saw the film the first time. And I know you felt very similarly. My question is, now that we've seen the film a few more times, has your opinion of Forky changed? Yes, big time, actually. Because with all of these other toys, I was like, you know, why is this the thing that she latches onto when when it's garbage, right? Especially, right. you know, they, they could have had Bonnie find another toy that she gets attached to the attachment. I'm not questioning that that's, you know, that is the nature of a child, especially when they are trying to adjust to something, they're going to look to something to find comfort. That is not in question here. My question was always why Forky? Uh, I actually think he's a great foil because especially when he has the heart to heart with Woody and Woody makes him understand what he is. Forky finds the trash comforting and he breaks it down and says, Bonnie finds you comforting. And Forky's like, I'm her trash. Um, So where I thought it was annoying that Forky kept running back to every trash can he could find. And I'm like, why would you just want to be thrown out? Especially when we've seen the toys that we love so much, meaning in the context of Toy Story in this world, go through such great lengths to not be donated, not to end up in the trash. Don't even get me started on that scene in Toy Story 3. So it's like, why Why do you want to go? But what I'm realizing now is that Forky doesn't want to be thrown in the garbage or recycled. He wants freedom. He just wants to make it to the trash so that he can go be out in the world. That is his exit. Um. So I actually think that's a really great antagonist for Woody, because it is symbolic of Woody needs this structure. He needs a house. He needs a roof over his head. He can't be a lost toy. Yeah, I think as I've watched more and more, I like Forky more and more. Um, and maybe it's just because I, I know what to anticipate now with him when it comes to the style of humor, what he says, what he does. 
So with the anticipation, perhaps I'm a bit softer on it. But when it, when, when it comes time to breaking down characters, and I think I'm just going to throw this out here right now, I am not going to waste our time breaking down the characters that we've broken down three other times. I think when it comes to talking about characters and cast in this case we're just going to focus on the new characters the new toys the new cast and we'll talk about Annie Potts too because we haven't seen her in a while so I'm going to just put a pin in Forky until we get to the actual character breakdown but I want to talk about a conversation that Woody has with Buzz because every time Woody speaks through no fault of Tom Hanks and through no fault of the character Woody, for me, this film gets worse and worse and worse every time we see it. Because we have seen a montage up to this point of Forky tries to get in the trash, sometimes he accomplishes his mission, Woody pulls him out, he puts him next to Bonnie, He, you know, Forky takes off again, Woody retrieves him, puts him back to Bonnie, because what does Woody want to accomplish? Making his kid happy. There is now... A conversation that Woody has with Buzz that, for me personally, there are three or four instances where this movie becomes completely unraveled. This is probably the one piece of dialogue that completely unravels the entire film. It's when Woody and Buzz are talking about their the voice inside, their inner voice. Which becomes a great comedic bit. With Buzz. Um, but they're talking about it, and Buzz asks Woody about his inner voice. Well, Woody volunteers my inner voice, and Buzz asks what that is. And, and, you know, Woody explains to him that it's the thing inside you that kind of tells you what to do. And, you know, I'm kind of bringing it up in layman's terms. But he says that the voice inside of him... This is in regards to why do you keep doing this for Bonnie? Why do you keep retrieving Forky? Mm -hmm. And Woody says, the voice inside me wouldn't forgive me if I just gave up. You, You just undid the entire conclusion of this film just in that line. Because Woody says it with integrity because it's what he believes. My inner, my my voice inside would never forgive me if I gave up. I mean, that is the character, though. But here's where I'm going to disagree with you. Again, this is all Woody knows, and this is part of him having to accept that this kid is not Andy, and he can't do that. We don't realize that yet until he has the slip and and calls he means to say Bonnie and he says Andy but I think that's it you don't realize because he has such a need for control you don't realize how much he's actually struggling letting go of Andy and I want to talk about this too because that's basically the next scene in the movie Forky jumps out the window Woody goes after him and I love that they planted the Andy slip I love that Mm. Woody does slip and says Andy instead of Bonnie. This is one of the few instances where I think the film succeeds because I love how much Woody misses him. And I love that he keeps going for Bonnie 
because that's his responsibility. But it leads to that very heartfelt conversation that they use as a passage of time, really. It's a device to pass the time as Woody and Forky are walking down the road en route to the RV park. I think that it's funny. I think that it's heartfelt. And I think that Woody had to have it with somebody. I think he's got too much pride to have that with Buzz. He doesn't want any of the other toys that he's been around that he's led for so long to see that he is having a problem adjusting. Who better than to do it with this fork that's really only a day old at this point? Right. And it does come back into play later. I mean, aside from the fact that he does need to do that emotional dump, it does come back later with Gabby Gabby because Woody is giving Forky all of this information that he has no idea is going to be used against him. Not that Forky does that intentionally, but it's it is a really strong scene for the character and for the plot. I agree with you that Woody does not want to show his cards to the rest of the toys and be looked at as anything less than a strong leader. But I think what gets glossed over here, and I certainly missed it the first time around, is that really what's happening is that Woody is grieving Andy. And that's also why he is putting everything he's got into Bonnie. It's not just about keeping your kid happy. I think that especially in this scene when he has the slip up, I think that in some way he feels like he's going to get Andy back at the end of this. And that's why he's trying to do right by Bonnie, because I think that he's still figuring out a way where he can fix this. He may be. And I'm only realizing this now as we're talking through it. I like the struggle that Woody is going through, but I forget that you have had Toy Story shorts. You had the Halloween special that aired on ABC Mm -hmm. where you've seen prior to this film. And I think everybody just assumed that if Toy Story were to continue, we were going to get these little shorts and cartoons and short films and specials where you see the toys and, and they're on their adventure with Bonnie. It seemed like everybody, including Woody, was doing just fine. So perhaps we're to believe that Woody was just lying to all of us the entire time. But as I'm sitting here thinking about it, perhaps this would have worked better if we hadn't seen the other side of life where they're all very happy with her. Right. And if maybe they had made Bonnie a little older where, you know, maybe like a tween, especially because it's a girl, if she starts getting into makeup and boys and all that kind of stuff, then you really have that fallout of, okay, what happens now? Where do we go? But you know what? Had they gone that route, I think I would have been upset that we had seen the same thing rehashed of what happens when you're too old for the toys. And this answers... The question the first time of of, did we need a fourth Toy Story film? Right. What I do really love is the road trip that they're on. And this is where the animation shows just how much better it's gotten over the years. Uh, The family goes to the Great Basin. I love this little slice of Americana with the carnival across the street from this cute little main street. Uh, I thought this was a great choice. It was a great choice. The set was spectacular. I think that the the antique shop is great because it's beautifully scary 
Um, and it's something that we've all been inside. We're all familiar, and we've all been in some antique shop where it's like this is intriguing and yet creepy at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think the I love the fact that they took something that is so familiar and put it in this film because I think you, as the movie goer, can connect with it. And I think that the brilliance of Pixar in general, and this doesn't just end with Toy Story. I think this is Pixar in a you know in a whole is that they find these little things that you as the audience can pick up on that you can connect with and it puts you in the film those cultural touchstones yes and then they they just crack them wide open especially because we've seen so many facets of toys as these films have progressed and you know i think that's done intentionally because andy's growing up his world is getting bigger we're a growing audience. So where you start in the comfort of Andy's room, okay, we get Pizza Planet in the first one. You see the claw machine, which is one type of toy. Then when we go to the second film, uh, it explores, it does start exploring antique toys when we explore Woody's past, but then we right. go to the toy store. Uh, and then in the third one, they go to the the pre-K. Yeah. Um. So you get to see all of these different places that you would acquire a toy or all of these different stages that toys go through you know in the case of the pre-k most of those were like donated to the school um so now they've managed to figure out a way to incorporate another place that you would go and and find a toy and i remember seeing the trailer for the first time and i was like that is pretty genius and i I think they really delivered on it, especially they made Gabby Gabby and and the ventriloquist dummies just creepy enough without having this film be scary and off-putting to a child. Yeah, I think that on the surface, Gabby seems like a good likely villain. I think her motivation is there. The creepiness is just good enough. Yes. And you do get kind of lulled into this false plot where you think she's going to be another Lotso. Right. But I think her motivation with wanting the voice box is so brilliant, especially the way that they just like peel back the onion. She's like, oh, what what year were you made? And they're the same era. And, you know, oh, I wonder if we were made at the same factory. And and then you can tell when it it's so clever. They have Woody, his back is facing uh, like a platter that reflects the uh, the pull string. Yeah. And she just zeroes in on it. The whole thing is so well done, as is bringing Bo Peep back into the fold. If if we're going to have to have this, I think this was the most natural way to bring her back in. I think it was a natural way to bring her back in. Um, I think... I think her motivation for wanting out and for kind of breaking the mold that is considered a lost toy because she's out there exploring the world so she doesn't see it as quite the uh, stigma that a lost toy is typically tagged with. Um, I think that... I think her her wanting to get out of the antique shop because she didn't trust Gabby, she doesn't like Benson, she doesn't want to collect the dust, she knows that there's something else there for her. That's fine. Um, 
it makes sense. But there's just... I'm okay with that as the setup, but everything that happens from there has always been off-putting for me because what Bo always found endearing about Woody, and again, later on in the film, the film calls itself out for it, film is really good about calling itself out for not making any sense whatsoever. She has always loved how loyal and dedicated he is. So it was odd the first time in the opening scene where she's trying to convince him to become a lost toy to go with her. But she's doing it again. And she's trying a second time. And it almost seems like she's kind of off-put by the fact that Woody is the exact thing that she loved about him for the first two films. Well, I guess it is different with Bo, though, right? Because she's not actually a toy. She was on the lampshade. And this is, this is again, a problem with the film where you always sort of had her as a background character because she was Woody's love interest. And aside from the fact that we lost the buddy film by not making this a Woody and Buzz story, you made Bo sort of a main character. And I appreciate what they tried to do by giving us a stronger female character, but we already had that with Jesse. We didn't necessarily need to, to fill a void with giving Bo such a front row seat in this film. So I think that is where this becomes slightly problematic. What I like, though, is that they did address that at one time, even though Bo is not a toy per se, what she meant to Molly. Because, you know, Bo introduces Woody to Giggles McStuffins or whatever such nonsense name that they created. It's a Polly Pocket. Let's just call it what it is. You're telling me that Disney couldn't get the rights for that? That's what that tells me. They couldn't get the rights. Give me a break. Well, notice something. Let me. Sorry to interrupt you, but in the original Toy Story, this is worth mentioning. In the original Toy Story, you had a lot of those Mattel toys and toys that were well known in pop culture that they would pay the rights to. They stopped doing it once their IPs became so popular that they became their own toy brand. Mm. They didn't have to pay the licensing anymore. That's a very, very good observation. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, but anyway, the the Polly Pocket, yeah. she only knows Bo as this one thing, is mm-hmm. this adventurous, self-assured girl who can take care of herself. So clearly Bo told her about Woody as her love interest, but she never gave her the full picture of what her past was like and what she meant to a child. And... I don't necessarily think that Bo has any regrets as far as leaving that world behind. I think her bigger regret was being stuck on the shelf collecting dust, which she does she does say as much. Right. But I think that was a smart move to reveal that at one point she did have what Woody had with Andy and she can relate 
to what Woody is trying to do for Bonnie because she knows what it's like to have that love of a child, which is what separates her from Gabby Gabby. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you bring that up with giggle McStuffins, dimples, whatever, um, because the dialogue that you're referring to, Bo says to her, do you remember the rag doll I told you about? And she goes, the sheriff? She goes, yeah, that's him. And she goes to introduce herself and goes, oh, you're a sheriff? I didn't know you were in law enforcement. You're a cop? You just referred to him as the sheriff in conversation with Bo Peep. I thought she said the cowboy. And then she sees the badge. Oh, perhaps it was. Perhaps you're right. Perhaps it was the cowboy. And then she realized it. But even still, like, it just, I don't know. There's something about, I'm going to put this out here now because I was going to bring this point up later. But I fear I'm going to forget this point. This film had... Actually, Rashida Jones and Will McCormack had started drafting or had drafted the fourth film. And different writers were brought in. They got credited because elements that they used in their draft were used here. It's the same thing that happened in Solo, which we recently reviewed. But... The difference between Solo and Toy Story 4 is that in Solo, you had multiple writers and rewrites and reshoots and director changes. But for the most part, I didn't think the film felt like it was being pulled in too many different directions. This movie feels like it was started and stopped by multiple writers and they couldn't weave a final project out of it. I definitely agree. That was something I was going to touch on a little bit later too, is that this feels like a brazen group of younger kids wanted to tackle this material because they grew up on Toy Story and they loved it. And they didn't do it with enough respect to the OGs. But Lassiter, Pete Doctor, they all were still involved in this. But you're right. This does fall victim to there were multiple writers and it feels like it. What this scene does succeed in doing with the writing, though, is creating such tension between Woody and Bo. I think that they gave it just enough of this awkwardness between them when they first reunite, which I love that they chose to do in toy form. So they can't really have that big reunion until they're out of sight. Yeah. Um, and then once they do start catching each other up, uh, there's that realization, even though Woody is out in the wild now, Bo thinks for a split second that she might have the Woody that she wants him to be. And she realizes that he is never going to pick her over the kid and be the person that she needs. Yes. And I'm glad that you bring that up. I'm going to pin that for now because this is going to come up again and be a part of a bigger conversation in a few minutes where the film really feels disjointed. Um, Buzz, in the meantime, has left the RV because his inner voice told him to go and set off to find Woody. I love that they did this. We had talked about the ongoing bit before, but this is so on brand for Buzz that he latches on to something like this because it's 
Well, actually, let me ask you something, though. Do you think this is a regression for the character? Yes. I have it in my notes. Why is he dumbed down? Because you're right. At first, it's very funny. But as the movie plays on, he realizes that what his inner voice is telling him is not what he really wants to do. And he goes with it anyway. And we've also spent three movies breaking him out of thinking that he's a toy. Not just that, but but like realizing he's not a real space ranger, realizing that he is a toy, realizing that he's a part of this family, that he's a part of this group. And Woody has rubbed off on him so much. That That's what I mean. I said he's a toy, but I meant in the sense of breaking him out of I am Buzz Lightyear. The toy mentality. We've seen salsa dancing buzz. Spanish buzz. Spanish buzz. We've seen factory reset buzz. And buzz always comes back. But buzz has grown so much as a character that for comic relief purposes, it makes sense to do it with him. Because unfortunately, you can't do it with Don Rickles. He's already passed away. They've pieced together a character using scraps from clips that were cut from other films Mm -hmm. okay that's fine like you just can't do much with him ham and rex are not focal points here you have to do it with buzz and of course he's a funny character but yeah i think that you took something that was initially very funny and the minute that you had him just go with it against better judgment it dumbs the character down i mean i i still think it is on brand for him to attach himself to something like his inner voice that that is part of him being a toy or him being a space ranger um but you you are right i will give you that he did not need to have another identity crisis in this film correct um, but we get introduced to, oh, there it is, Bunny and Ducky. I know I got the other character's name. We get introduced to Bunny and Ducky. <laughs> so obvious. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> because Buzz gets picked up and is zip-tied to the back of the carnival game. Um, here's the thing. Maybe it's because I love Key and Peel so much. And maybe it's because we've become very used to Toy Story in particular throwing a lot of adult humor out there that goes over the head of a child, but we find hysterical. I thought that's what we were going to get with Key and Peel, But to me, Bunny and Ducky almost immediately are not all that funny and feel like unnecessary characters that outside of breaking Buzz out of the zip tie, which they do accidentally, they serve literally no purpose. I like their motivation that they're immediately against Buzz because they don't want anything to stop them from going home with a child. I think that's funny and I think that all works, but... You're right. It's not just them. That was a note that I had about the the bigger picture here. There are just too many new characters in this film. And I had said it before where this could have been another adventure with the characters that we are familiar with, where we go out for one last hurrah. Why aren't they the ones breaking Buzz out? Why aren't they 
trying to help Woody? Why are they just listening to Bonnie's toy? Yeah. It, it, I mean, at ultimately, Bo and Duke and Woody and Bunny and Ducky start getting other unclaimed carnival toys new homes, so I guess they serve a purpose. But the problem is, this is something that you see in a mid-credit scene at like the movie's already over, right? So like it, this is they don't really have a character arc. They don't really serve much of a purpose, and it's a shame because I think the two actors that voice them are incredibly talented, and I thought that it was a waste of talent because I I really expected they were going to do more, that they were going to be funnier. Um, and it's a great sight gag too. Just the the very idea of having them tethered together. Yeah, the whole thing in theory works but again this is where this movie feels like it had multiple writers if there is an introduction to a character though that works well in spite of the fact that you're right there are far too many of them i love the introduction to duke kaboom oh my god and it's more than just keanu reeves is a god I think Duke Kaboom, I'm just going to put this out here right now. I think Duke Kaboom is the best thing about this movie. Yeah, I I like that they took the idea of Buzz one step further. And I think we're going to see more of this with Lightyear. Um, but this is another facet of toy that we haven't really explored yet. Yes. Is the action figure based on a real life person. Which... I think is what we are going to discover that Buzz is. But to do that with an older toy, something that was popular a couple of generations ago, I think that was brilliant. But he does have that same complex of I'm stuck on my commercial. Yeah, but it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant storyline. It's a brilliant backstory for him because the whole thing is that Rajan doesn't want anything to do with him because he doesn't perform the way he does in the commercial. How many toys did you get as a kid that looked so great in the commercial and then you got it home and you played with it and it was nothing close to what they promised it would be? We've never seen this in Toy Story before. Right. It is different than Buzz because Buzz believed his own hype. But Buzz also performed the way he was supposed to. Well, because he fell with style. Duke Kaboom just crashes. But that's the point. Buzz operated the way he was supposed to. Duke Kaboom couldn't. Right. And we've all seen it for ourselves, but we've never seen it in Toy Story. And the inferiority complex that this character has and his moments for redemption are so well done. This is some of the best writing in the film. I also love where we meet him, where Bo finally concedes to help Woody and takes him back to Second Chance Antiques. A a brilliant name for the shop too, by the way. We didn't hit on that. Yeah. Uh, So there's like this underground club where, you know, it's just like these multicolored lights where all these toys are hanging out. I I feel like Part of that is to escape Gabby Gabby and her henchmen from the antique shop. Um, but it's also, it it's smart. It makes sense because these toys 
are never really gonna get picked up the dealer says as much to her yeah. granddaughter like the toys never go home with anybody so if this is sort of their new lease on life and this is how they're enjoying their retirement I totally buy it. I love that Bo walks in and everybody knows who she is. They know her as the girl that got out. Um, I I think that this was a, a really great way to sort of tie Bo's world old and new all together. It is. And I love some of the dialogue here where she refers to Woody as her accessory using that toy lingo. Yes. Like it's, it's very clever. It's very funny. Um, you know, and, and from here, you see Duke make the jump to get them to the cabinet. And obviously, the plan fails. And the sheep are off with Benson. And Bo gets fed up. And they get chased out of the store by the cat. And Forky is still there. Like, a lot of... A lot of, like, the, it, it's lather, rinse, repeat for, like, 15 minutes. It's like, we've got it, but we don't. Okay, we got another one, but we don't. There's always, like, okay, we got it figured out, but we don't. It, like, honestly, like, if I didn't have it written in front of me, I would not be able to keep track of how many schemes and plans they had that kind of worked and then failed, and they had to start over again. Well, I think the one driving force behind that is that this whole time they keep cutting back to Bonnie going, Forky's missing. That got on my last nerve. I understand that she is a child, a kindergarten age child. But at that point in kindergarten, are you really attached to a toy? Yes. But to a little fork, I don't buy that she's having a meltdown every time this fork disappears. I think that, and, the, and this is, again, where the, the screenwriting collapsed by having so many different groups of people and such a big cast. You had to keep cutting back to Jesse and what the rest of them were doing just to keep them and their story alive in the film. And instead, they put the focus on Bonnie. I mean... What I will say is it's very funny every time we cut back to that trailer how now without their fearless leader Woody they have the inept leader in Bonnie's toy and now even Buzz is gone. These toys are left to their own device to figure out how to stall this family. So they're just like pulling these Hail Marys with the camper. That was actually a funny bit. But as far as Bonnie constantly crying over Forky being missing that got old real quick. Um... As far as the lather, rinse, repeat, I think that is broken up a little bit with Gabby Gabby because we get to see her motivation. It's not just being picked up by any kid. She wants the the granddaughter of the antique dealer. And to see her have this tea time where Harmony, the little girl, is, is playing and she doesn't have anybody with her she's got an imaginary friend Gabby so badly wants to fill that void I think that was brilliant because it made Gabby so much less scary because all we know is that she has Forky at this point yeah um but to circle back to what you said about the lather rinse repeat I think a lot of that comes from Woody acting impulsively because Bo had a plan in place 
she is the one who has all of this experience in the outside world now. And Woody acting impulsively costs them big time. However, it pays off because Bo calls him on it. She does. Um, and this is where I think you and I are really going to start to fracture here. I really don't like the scene. I don't mind when they get into it when they're in the store. I really, with a passion, dislike the scene outside of the store once the cat chases them out the window where Woody and Bo get into an argument about what loyalty means and what they should be doing and how Woody does not want to leave Forky behind because he just needs to do what is best for Bonnie and Bo really to me comes off kind of selfish here because she's kind of like it's not Andy Bonnie's not your kid move on move on from this which would be fine if earlier in the film we didn't touch on how much Bo loved Woody for being that leader and how much she learns that she still loves him for being loyal and unselfish literally 10 minutes after this argument happens. Well, you're right, but here's where I'm going to disagree. Look at this from Bo's perspective. She's gonna. She's sitting here going, you're going to talk to me about loyalty when I've been nothing but loyal to you. I'm out on my own. You wanted to go back into this antique shop where I had to work to break out of. But because I'm loyal to you, I'm going to help you help your kid and I'm going to take you back there. She's been nothing but loyal to him. And he's throwing that in her face. He, yes, to you, that's a valid point. But the, the, the bigger problem here is that all he's doing is the thing he's always done, that, which she has loved about him. And late, and literally ten minutes later, says it's what you love about him. So why are we angry to begin with? Do, do you see what I'm saying? I do, but and maybe it's just bad writing. Maybe that's the problem. That's what I was going to say. Is here's where they wrote themselves into a corner because they had to tear Woody down so far. He's got to feel like he's got nothing left. Because he's not necessarily sympathizing with Gabby Gabby, but he willingly gives her the voice box now. I mean, they, they back him into a corner. He doesn't really have too many options left because he is surrounded. Uh, and now Bo has alienated him. He doesn't have Buzz anymore. He has no one. You had to mentally tear him down to nothing where he feels like since he has nothing left to lose, he gives her the voice box. I'm glad that you bring this up because I want to talk about Gabby Gabby and the lost child at the carnival. I thought that this was excellent screenwriting. Yes. Because I had said before that I thought the uh, the fake out with Gabby being a villain, kind of taking the Lotso route, um, I thought it was a great fake out. I think that ultimately... Her motivation is sound. I think that they really did go an interesting route with softening her as your quote-unquote villain. Because if you think about it, this movie has an antagonist, sort of, 
it doesn't have a villain. There's no Lotso. There's no Sid, right? Like, this is, like, the only Toy Story film that doesn't have your villain, per se. But I thought that her being defective was a great subplot, and what they did here was great with putting her with a lost child. Well, I think feeling like there's a lack of villain has to do with this story is really man versus himself and it's Woody trying to sort everything out. Right. Um but I agree with you. Uh I really wasn't expecting her to level with him. Yeah. I really thought especially when she starts using his own words that she got from Forky against him. Yeah. I was expecting that to be a fake out, but I think that that was a smart choice because had she actually used that against him in order to capture him again, if he didn't willingly give up that voice box, that would have made this movie far too scary for children. But I love where they end her story, um, especially after you you see her soul get crushed by Harmony. Everything that she's worked for, all these lengths that she's gone through to have her chance and get this voice box fixed the one kid that she wanted um to see that not work out like you really do feel for her and I think that also it was smart to sort of plant that seed where Woody starts this matchmaker role if you will where it's about getting every toy paired with a kid And I think the other thing, too, is after seeing how her plan to wind up with Harmony fizzled out, how quickly she was to give up and lose hope, it would have made sense to put her with Bonnie, but it was an easy out. I think it meant more to Gabby to be with that child who was lost, who needed comfort, because it's almost an exact replica of what she had been through herself. Right. One needed the other just as much. I also like that Duke Kaboom gets his second chance here and that they actually give him a real life target to hit and he makes it. Yes, that was great. Um, So for all of the good that we do here, building up to the finale of this film, let's go ahead and ruin it and ruin 20 years of character development in favor of a love story that nobody asked for. Well, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I also love here, we we did, we were sort of remiss not to mention it. Um, One of the things that they did really well while they are pulling off this one last run with Duke uh, the rest of the toys, again, without a leader, have pulled a Hail Mary on the air on the RV. Yes. Jesse popped the tire. That was a while ago. Right. Now the dad, who is about ready to just completely lose it, uh, no longer has control of the RV. Uh, they they impersonate the GPS, which is so funny. The unicorn's trying to get dad arrested, and now and and now they lock him out of the RV it, after he's been pulled over by a cop for starting and stopping. It's Griswold level insanity on this vacation, and I'm here <laughs> for it. Yeah, it's it's really well done, and and yes, as you put it, they build us up to tear us down. So let's just discuss the elephant in the room here. All right, like 
this is this is the entire not the entire problem with the film because I've listed out things that I found problematic. You didn't see them necessarily the same way. But can we all agree that the end of this film it forget the fact that it kills your inner child, but it just makes me angry every time I watch it because you had this most perfect conclusion in the third film. And I know that for you personally, you were trying to put the third movie aside and just review this for what it was. But in this moment, it is completely impossible to not consider how perfect the end of the third movie was because in no universe does Woody leave his child in no universe does Woody leave Buzz and Jesse and Slinky and Rex and Ham and the rest of them. It's just not in his DNA. And I just can't get past the fact that Woody is willing to abandon Bonnie after he did all of this for Bonnie because he will always do what's in the best interest of his child so that he and Bo can go live at the carnival for eternity. I, this is just... It's, it's 20 years of character development that you negate for absolutely no reason. Oh, this is going to be a really interesting night in the Croft household. Let me just say that... We did not get an episode out last week because, unfortunately, you had the Rona. We slept on opposite sides of the house. (laughs) I thought we were past (laughs) that with a negative test. I suppose I'm wrong. Um, (sighs) Choose your words wisely. Uh, No, I am. And this is where I think it is most important to consider this a film on its own and not look at the other three although well maybe you do a little bit because here is where my mind has been changed first of all I absolutely love that Buzz his bro bails him out he knows exactly what he needs and he says she's gonna be okay and we all knew without him having to clarify Bonnie's going to be okay uh I love that. I think that that is a perfect moment between the two of them. And that is where I would be okay with Woody letting go. What makes it more difficult is that they do bring back the rest of them. And to see him say goodbye to Ham, Slink, Rex, the Potato Heads, screw Bonnie's toys. Yes. To say goodbye to the OGs like that, that is just as hard as when they're about to go into the incinerator. It's right. brutal. Right. Um, and, and to your point, this is what I hated about it the first time. It's after everything you have gone through to keep this family together. You're just going to give up on them just like that? Here's where I disagree now, though, with the 20 years of character development. You need growth. Otherwise... It's not going to feel like good character development. I feel like had Woody taken Gabby and they would have all gone back to Bonnie's house in this picture perfect ending, 
we'd be sitting here complaining that it was too much of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Was it a bit heavy handed and that they spelled it out for us that Woody is no longer a lost toy because he was lost. That was the whole thing. And I think this is where you need to separate it the most. Woody was never doing all of this for Bonnie. He was doing it for Andy. This was about being loyal to Andy. It was about thinking that this is what Andy would have wanted. It's about being conditioned to do what he was supposed to do. Now, if you're looking at this in the context of Woody is a toy who happens to be to be able to have life, then he should just fulfill his purpose and do the one thing. I think where the discourse is is that we have come to look at these toys as human and as a human character, Woody does need to grow. This is almost like Woody going off to college now where he has been doing one thing what he was supposed to do his entire life or what he thought he was supposed to do. And for the first time he's able to say, to step back and say, what is it that I want? And he has the freedom to make a choice. I don't know that having Bo be such a big part of that decision was the route to go. But I think no matter what version of this story you're telling, whether it was Bo, whether it was another adventure with the rest of the toys, whether it was Jesse, I think you're going to come to this same point where Woody has to make a choice of do I stay with the kid or or do I go out on my own like this? Um, and I think the other thing is, again, it's not Andy where he was the favorite toy. It's Bonnie. He's faced with the same thing that Bo was when she was in the antique shop. She's sitting there collecting dust. He's sitting there with dust bunnies in the closet because he's not getting picked. Is that the life that he wants? The rest of them, and this is, this is I think, what really bothers me, is the, these other characters that have developed and had full arcs that we have grown to love, they're complacent to stay with Bonnie. And that's what really bums me out is that you've given these deep characters that we've all come to love complacency and you didn't give them a choice. I mean, for the most part, they have always followed Woody. Do I think that they were going to follow him off into the abyss of traveling carnivals? No, but I don't like that they just decided to sit this one out. Here's the thing, and I'm not arguing the point that you just made, but this only just dawned upon me as you were talking through it because you said that Woody is not doing this for Bonnie. Woody's doing this for Andy because he's kind of refusing to give Andy up in his own mind. If I remember correctly, because admittedly I have not watched Toy Story 3 since we watched it for the show. Because of all of the Toy Story films, as great as it is, because it's one of the best Disney films ever made, Disney, Pixar, however you want to categorize it, it is one of the absolute best. But it is a downer. It's not one I'm going to put on. I will watch the original far far more often than I do the third. But if I remember correctly, wasn't Buzz and Woody off to college with Andy and Bonnie accidentally found them wasn't it that Andy 
was not going to give them up, or at the very least was not giving Woody up until he realized how happy Bonnie was to have him. I believe you're right. No, and I wanted to do the rewatch before we did this one. We just didn't have the time with me being away. Um, I think you're right. I think he was going to take them like as collectibles for his dorm, and then they got mixed it or, or I think they ended up in the box probably because they did something and had to catch up with the rest of the group and threw themselves in the box and then it was too late. Or what he was trying to keep all of them together. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the fact of the matter is they were never supposed to be there and he let them go for Bonnie. So if this is what Andy wanted for Bonnie you would think that Woody would want to fulfill Andy's needs because Andy recognized the joy that Woody and Buzz would bring to Bonnie. You're right, but Woody tried. And I think because he's not the favorite toy, that's what made him second-guess everything because he feels like he doesn't have a purpose because she's not playing with him. And now you've got a bunch of other toys saying, no, don't go to kindergarten. And now Forky has filled the void of kindergarten. Right. Okay, let's talk about the cast um, of new characters, and we'll talk about the cameos as well. Before we get to new characters, though, I do want to talk about a character that we haven't seen in a while, and that's Bo Peep. Annie Potts is back. Obviously, they fill in the void as to where she was in the third film, I'm glad that we have her back, but there's just something about the way that this character is written that I'm just not jiving with. I'm not going to hash all of it out again. We've done that for the last hour plus, but there's just something about the way that she's written and her dialogue, and it. I don't even want to call it an internal struggle. It's that she just seems like she's all over the place in this film. Happy to have Annie Potts back. Um, like I said, I think it was a good reintroduction to Bo as far as finding her or at least finding her stand in the antique shop. I, I think that that was a sensible choice for where she ended up. Um... I like the character growth as far as making her very worldly and showing that she's a survivalist, but I do agree with you. I I think the issue is less about the dialogue though and more about she's too much of a main character and she never should have been. There's yeah, it's 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 hard to pinpoint, but I think we're both at least on the same page. Happy to see the actress back. Kind of happy to see the character back. Yeah, I mean, this is where we had said they they wrote themselves into a corner by following this story. I mean, I think for making this choice and making this Woody's catalyst to venture off, um, it, it happened the right way it, it felt natural to this story it didn't feel natural to the toy story world tony hale plays forky and 
I mentioned it before. This is a character that I really did not like or find funny the first time that we watched it, but upon a couple of viewings this week in preparation for the show, this is a character that I actually like quite a bit because as over-the-top as he is, and at times he is annoying, he's one of these characters where still waters run deep because he, for somebody who is so out of touch with what is right in front of him, he seems to pick up on a lot of things very quickly when it comes to just emotion and, for a lack of better term, because they are, of course, toys, the human condition. I definitely agree with that, although I like Forky more as a plot device than an actual character. I wish that they had given him a few more quips or, like, scene-stealing one-liners. I thought they were going to do more with that, especially when they cast Tony Hale. And it's not really what happened at all. Especially when he sort of disappears to... uh, Well, I mean, he's captured by Gabby Gabby. Right. But once he gets sympathetic towards her and he's buying into her story, you do lose him quite a bit. I think the same can be said for Keegan-Michael Key as Ducky and Jordan Peele as Bunny. I said it before. I had hoped that they would have been a little bit more um, utilized with comic relief in terms of the jokes that would pander a little bit more to the adult audience because both of them are so ridiculously funny and so talented. Um, But you can't have their entire purpose for the film be something that occurs in a post-credit or a mid-credit scene. I love having Key and Peel in this universe, but they could have done so much more with these characters and they squandered it. Uh, really, once they stop being an antagonist to Buzz, they're the muscle in this heist to get Forky out. And they should have been what Ham and Rex and Slink have always been, like scene-stealing side characters. Yeah. Christina Hendricks plays Gabby Gabby. Until today, I didn't know that was Christina Hendricks. I I had forgotten that because she was on, uh, what is it, Mad, Mad Men. Men? Yeah. That was like peak when this movie came out. And I don't, I don't think that she's done too much since, but... Um, I, I think she did great. Yeah. I, that that like very like there there's a sweet innocence to Gabby's voice, uh, but it also sort of lures you with that false sense of security, that calming presence. Yes, uh, I think she nailed it. Agreed. Keanu Reeves, Duke Kaboom, best character in the film. Other than the ones that we love, of all the new characters, this is the best thing that came out of this movie. Yeah, if there was going to be like a, a shorts spinoff. It should all be Duke Kaboom focused. He's fantastic. And he can Yeah. All right. Um, let's get into some of the um, cameos here because, like, there are speaking lines, but they come so quickly that you don't really pick up on them. And more times than not, it's like a line or it's background dialogue. So you can't really dissect most of these characters. I love seeing actors do things like this where they don't care how big the part is. They just want to be in the film and they'll do one or two speaking. And really, 
especially if you're in the union, all you have to do is show up for a day, maybe even for a couple of hours, spit out your lines, and and you get paid for the day. Right. And you get to be in Toy Story. All right. Let's. Uh, so the the cameo that really does have the most dialogue is Combat Carl as a lost toy. Uh, last toy. Lost toy. I knew I would get there. It's Carl Weathers. I thought this was fun to hear Carl Weathers in a Toy Story film. For sure. Um, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers is the voiceover artist, the announcer in the Duke Kaboom commercial. I had no idea. That's genius. I'm surprised it's not, it, it wasn't Ryan Reynolds because it's a Canadian toy, you know, yeah. like usually you'll, you'll get somebody that's got that Canada pride that wants to do it. Yeah. And flea is Australian via California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I, I love it that he's there. Probably my favorite. And I think the most recognizable is Bill Hader. Bill Hader is Axel the Carney. Yes. Yeah. And then you get um, Patricia Arquette as Harmony's mother. Right. Um, and then you get a run of legendary comics, the likes of which, I will say this confidently, you will never, ever get in one room again. As you have Mel Brooks as Melephant Brooks, Carol Burnett as Chiral Burnett, Betty White as Bitey White, and Carl Reiner as Carl Rhinoceros. That much comedic talent in one room, I'm telling you right now, will never be matched again. No, and I love that the filmmakers did that because you had Don Rickles and I guess without being able to have him record fresh dialogue, they wanted to do a hat, a hat tip to the greatest generation of comedy. Yeah. So I love that they pulled all of this talent in. Incredible. And then you get Ricky Henderson, legendary baseball player as his own Oakland Athletics bobblehead doll. Brilliant. There is not a soundtrack, really, to this film. There's one song that I can't let you throw yourself away. And it's Randy Newman, so you get him back, so it's that familiar voice in the Toy Story universe. But these films have kind of been known as spitting out really incredible music. This song is for what it is, is like way too on the nose for Forky. Right. Um, and I think the fact that you don't really have, you don't have an I will go sailing no more. You know what I'm saying? You, it it falls flat. I hate to say it because it's Randy Newman. Although I hate to say anything bad about Toy Story, except I just sat here and talked about Toy Story 4. It does fall flat. It definitely does, especially when we've, or at least I've been talking about growth over the course of four films now. The soundtrack should have supported that. And not only did you not have the songs to back it up, 
it, it you can feel that lacking that there's only the one song aside from the fact that it's not his best work as far as Toy Story goes to not have a full soundtrack of of songs that are so tied to these scenes I mean I will go sailing no more. You you don't think it's going to get any more sad than that. And then they hit you with When She Loved Me from oh Toy Story God. 2. And, and the knife just twists in your heart even deeper. So to have this moment where Woody is saying goodbye and we don't have a song that that makes us sob? Like, are you kidding? Yeah. Um no, I mean, not that I need that to to get the intended emotion out of that scene, but it, Randy Newman's soundtrack just goes hand in hand. I it it definitely felt like there was a missing piece. Final thoughts on Toy Story Four. What do you want to go first? I mean, honestly, I don't have that much more to elaborate on that I haven't said already. Um, I am, I, I'm converted. I'm not going to say that this is one of my favorite movies or that it's a great movie, but I will say that it's gotten better and better each time that I have watched it. I, I wouldn't even say that I've, I enjoy it more because I am still disappointed. No matter how much I will try to separate it from the other three films, you just end it on the perfect note. Right off into the sunset. Just leave it alone. We didn't need this. But being that we have it, I am trying to be objective with it and look at it for what it is. And what it is does tell a pretty complete story. I don't even think you need the other three necessarily to appreciate what a complete film this is. But I think what has changed my mind is that separating it from the Toy Story universe and looking at it as a character study, I am definitely able to get more out of it. And I can sit here and say that I wrote it off too quickly the first time. There is no Dana. There is only Zool. Oh, my goodness. There is no Toy Story 4. It ends with Toy Story 3. I think that at this point, I'm willing to die on the hill that this film was unnecessary. It was a cash grab. And we all fell for it against better judgment. I have never in retrospect of any film we've reviewed on this show, ever wished that I would have just listened to my gut and not fed into the billion-dollar box office. I wish I had not seen this in movie theaters because I fed into the exact thing that they were looking to accomplish. I don't think they were looking to tell another story. I think they were looking to make another billion dollars. And they accomplished it. Woody and Buzz should never be separated. Woody should never leave his kid, regardless of who that kid is. And the only thing that I can do that 
puts me in a position to live in a universe where this film exists as the conclusion because Tom Hanks has already come out and said they're not making anymore. Well, why did you make a fourth? If it's a trilogy, then it ends. If you make a fourth, you're going to make a fifth and you're going to make a sixth. You you don't make four. You, you make three or you make six. So you made four. You gave us a conclusion that we didn't need. You gave us a love story we didn't ask for after the most perfect conclusion outside of the death of Tony Stark that we have had in this company in the last 25 years. I will go so far as say in the last 25 years, Disney has not had a more complete trilogy or a better finale outside of the death of Tony Stark in Endgame, which may be... And you know what? That Avengers Endgame was four films, but that was really a part one and part two. It is three stories. But with all of that being said, I, li- I live in a world where... And, and, and thank you to Marvel for this, because Marvel is what has talked me off the ledge. I live in a world where this film exists in a Toy Story multiverse, where this is the other conclusion that we would have got. This is what if, this is a multiverse. That's how I choose to look at it. And with that being said, I'm happy to never watch it again and live in the world where we have Toy Story 3 in its most perfect form, where Andy hands Woody off to the next kid. That's how I choose to view Toy Story 4. And we're interested in knowing what you have to say about Toy Story 4. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. And I'm really very interested to hear whether people have taken the approach that you've taken, where they've softened their stance on it as the years have gone on, or if they are on my side of the fence where they are as stern, if not worse, because... This was a very polarizing film upon its release. So I'm really curious to see where people are with that. We have news of the week coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked... Reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Design. If you are looking for that touch of Disney and your home decor like we were after we bought our house down here, Kelly has you covered, and she's got an assortment of other services that she offers. Plus, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout to see all of her products and services. It is online at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. We've got some parks-centric news this week, starting with the announcement that the Oogie Boogie Bash is coming back to Disneyland this year for select dates in September and October. That's not really that surprising because we knew that Mickey's Not So Scary was coming back to Walt Disney World. 
However, what makes this interesting for Disneyland is that Magic Key sales have been halted. There have been no renewal dates announced, and every pass is set to expire in August. However, this party starts in September, and they are promising perks if you are a Magic Key holder. So this means one of two things, if not two or two things. This means that Disney has to be close to announcing a renewal date so that people can re-up their Magic Keys, and or they are announcing a new AP rollout for the Disneyland Resort, and you have to imagine that that would also trickle over to Walt Disney World. It could also mean a third thing, that this is some really bad bait-and-switch JPEG BS. Or it could be that somebody just copy-and-pasted the, you know, whatever it is that they were using from a previous event. Although I think that, you know, I mean, look, if you listen to our Dockside chat from this week, you heard us talk about becoming APs. We have the Pixie Dust passed. Not the ideal pass for us, but we're finding ways to make it work. And we said that we would upgrade to one of the better passes that allows us to utilize the parks on the weekends, and we hope they would do it by the fall because last year APs went on sale in September. I'm inclined to think that that's what they're doing here. I don't think this is a bait-and-switch because you're not going to get tickets to the Boogie Bash because you're promised an extra perk. The entire party is a perk that you're paying for. True, but what I'm saying is in this grand tradition of taking away things that were once free to us and making us pay for them this could be just a promotion of hey we're going to give you some added perks and then oh wait no the pass is expired so nobody actually gets to use them i think that would be in poor taste but they took away the magical express it would be pr suicide there's no i mean that's really what it would be Disney has not had the grandest public relations lately. If you were to do that, if you were to promise that passes were coming back to sell pass to sell tickets to an after hours event that you're going to sell out anyway, just so that, you know, you hope that people that already have a magic key would be inclined to do it just to sell the ticket and then not make good on it. It's that would no, I, I just I can't see them doing that. I'm not putting it past them. All right. However, if they were to do that, Disney has found another way to, <laughs> to make your money, money back. Um, and it makes vacation planners like Jackie very excited. <laughs> well, this is actually a very cool experience that Adventures by Disney is putting together. And I had thought it would be really cool, I think, for the average human I was thinking like maybe for our retirement or something. And then I looked at the price tag. So what they are doing, it is a Disney parks around the world, private jet adventure. Um, So this trip includes it's 24 days long. Uh, It would include a stop in each park. And there are also bonus excursions uh, that include a Lucasfilm campus tour uh, a Tokyo Disney Sea experience with Walt Disney Imagineering and the Walt Disney Studios tour in Burbank. Um, so you're not just getting to visit all parks. Those 
for for those three, mm-hmm. that makes it really worth it. So it starts in California. It either leaves from LAX, John Wayne Airport, or Long Beach Airport, which we're big fans of, mm-hmm. uh, and it returns to MCO in Orlando. So you're literally going around the world, and it would also include 68 meals, 23 breakfasts, 22 lunches, and 23 dinners. Uh, it, it's a great idea for the ultimate Disney fan. Going around the world in a small group with like-minded fans, uh, I-, I think it sounds really cool. You want to take a guess at what the price tag is? Well, geez. Based on what the Galactic Star Cruiser costs, I'm thinking that 68 meals, call them $50 a meal, so, okay, so that's you should also factor this in. Uh, the aircraft is a Boeing 757. So they're calling it a private jet, but you're going in a converted Southwest plane. I, I don't know. 90 grand. I, if I were to start and I were to guess, I'd guess 90 grand. You're about 20 grand shy. One hundred and nine thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars. Oh, boy. It's a great idea. But and they are giving you a lot they with are. the meals yeah. and the airfare included and all of the parks. But I think they are generously uh, upselling here. Well, here's the thing. Like, there's part of me that goes here. We go again. Disney caters to the rich, just like Galactic Star Cruiser. But at the same time, listen, the pri- private jet my rear end. You're right. It's a converted Southwest JetBlue whatever. You've been on it a thousand times. The average person is not going to take a month off of work to go travel the world to go to Disney. Now, a lot of people will do a cruise around the world and do one of those Viking cruises. And I can tell you that they're getting meals included, but they're not spending $100,000 per person to do it. And you're going for like 90 days in that case. Yeah, um... I see both sides of this. When you factor in the cost of the meals, the airfare, especially with the price of gas right now, what airfare is going to be, park admission, hotel, I still think it's a reach. I still, like, I feel like I could price out this vacation for far less than $100,000. I I would think maybe around like seventy five grand because I agree with you that was my knee jerk reaction. It it's a very cool idea, but they are still trying to spin Disney as luxury travel, and it is in some cases. You know, if you want to stay at one of the the deluxe resorts, you can certainly make Disney a luxury vacation. But I I agree with you. I'm inclined to think that people are going to be discouraged because they're being priced out by it. Like I really would have considered it as, as like a retirement trip for us, but not if I have to fork over my 401k to go on it. That literally to go on that trip is over 33% of what we paid for this home. That's crazy. That's insane. Even if I had the money out of principle, I wouldn't do it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't care because it's nothing I'm ever going to do. It, this is the way I feel about the Galactic Star Cruiser. Like, Unless we win the lottery. But, like, then I would do it, but I'm, I'm not shelling that out of pocket. Like, I, 
I don't really care because it doesn't have an adverse effect on my life. But this is another example, I think, of Disney catering to the rich. And there's a market for it, but people are going to take it and run with it. Like, we have the ability to go, yeah, it's a rich person's trip. Move on. The same way we've never stayed at the Grand Flow. We've never stayed at the Poly. We've always been the value resort because that's what we can afford. That's what's within our reach. We accept it and we're fine with it. However, that's average, I think that's average. But the problem is the last two big offerings that you've done and that you're rolling with right now are only catering to that audience. And they know it, too, because the on sale breakdown, it goes first to people who have taken three or more Adventures by Disney trips, which are not cheap. Then two days later, it's on sale for anyone who has gone on an Adventures by trip. Then it goes to Golden Oaks residents, and then it goes to the general public. Do you think it'll actually see a general public on sale? Uh, I have to see how many trips they're actually offering. I don't know if this is like a one and done. I I don't think so, because then you're really excluding people from it. Um, But I think if they're offering like multiple voyages around the world the first couple are going to fill by the time it gets to golden oaks well i'm going to keep an eye on it you're going to keep an eye on it and we want to know what you have to say about this excursion uh how quickly did you decide you were not going to go on it how do you feel about magic keys coming back or being available for renewal are you a disneyland resort uh, regular that has been nervous that your membership was going to lapse or are you in the same boat that we're in here on the East Coast where you either couldn't get the pass that was meant for you or you couldn't get a pass at all. We want to hear from you. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. We are on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. And for links to everything related to the show, it's online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.